eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Welcome to the NASCAR NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. Today here at Hendrick Motorsports, where I am joined by the founder, the owner, the man whose name is on the building, Rick Hendrick. Thanks for making time on a busy day. Oh, man. Good to have you here. I want to talk about your NASCAR team. That's why I'm here. 12 championships, countless wins. But first, I want to talk about something I got to tour for the first time here on the Hendrick Motorsports campus, and that is your Heritage Center, which... Somehow it's been open for eight years. I'd never actually gotten a tour and made it in there. It's not open to the public, but it's fabulous. I don't know where to start. I want to talk to you about both music and cars because it's filled yeah. with both. You have probably somewhere over 200 cars in this Yeah, building. there's, uh, I think, 208 in the building. And, uh, you know, I've been collecting cars now for about 40 years. This building was to pay tribute to my family, place for my cars, and the guitars. I'm a big music fan, as you could see, but I uh, can't play an instrument, can't sing. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, no, it's uh, that that building is a timeline of my life. Right. It feels like a living, breathing thing when you walk in there. Yes. Yeah. And that's what I really wanted to do. Uh, I had these cars scattered at different dealerships and here in different warehouses. And uh, after the accident in uh, 2004, one of Ricky's old trailers that had been here and had rusted sitting out back, the guys restored it, brought back all his helmets and uniforms he'd given different employees. And so when they presented me with the trailer, I, it, it had the radios from back when he was running late model, the chairs with my wife, my, my dad's name on them, and uh, a sign that when I was sick with leukemia, uh, Dad, this one's for you. I was so touched by that. I said, okay, I need to build a facility or building to put that trailer in and all of my cars together. So that was the, that's what started back in 04, and I put it all together. And then when we, we built the building, Steve Crisp and, and I were talking, and uh, I was telling him stories about my granddad building my 31 in my granddad's general store in the girls' bathroom. <laughs> and uh so I That's your thirty one thirty one um, Chevrolet, Chevrolet. Yeah, which you drag raced when you first started yeah, racing. Yeah. That was my first car. I paid uh two hundred and fifty dollars for it. Actually it was a was not quite fifteen yet. And uh working on the farm and my dad w- with the farm equipment we couldn't work on it in the little garage where the tractors were. So my granddad had a general store that was an old schoolhouse that had a big boys' bathroom, big girls' bathroom, and did need both. 
So <laughs> cut a hole in the wall, <laughs> and that's where I, I took this 31. My dad and I built it, and I drag raced it. So, of course, I wanted to put the general store in there. I, when I got started in the automobile business, actually when I was in school in Raleigh, my mother was a teller in the Bank of Virginia, and she helped me get 90-day notes that I would buy cars, fix cars, and flip them. So that's how I got in the automobile business. So that's why, that's why the bank's there. Right. And then the uh, the tractor shop, Mitchell Auto and Tractor, and uh, you you saw the Flying Eleven sitting there. And I think I was 12 when a guy that worked here, Larry Matthews, and I rode in the back of Jack Tant's pickup truck to Trenton, New Jersey, to watch that car win the the championship. Who drove that car? Ray Hendrick. Ray Hendrick. Right. Yeah. Right. So I've got the car. And what's so amazing is Jack, and I called Jack Tant, and he said, you know, the motor that was in that car, I had in my truck. I took it out of my truck 25 years ago, and it's back in the back, and I'll rebuild it for you. And so we found the injectors. We found, so the car, when I was 12 years old, that I watched win a race is now in the building, complete. And the truck... I bought the truck from Jack that towed it. So that's not, you didn't see that today. But anyway, <laughs> as you go around the building, the drag strip, Person County, I, I raced at. And then um, City Chevrolet was my first big dealership. The Sidco station that's in there, it's where I met my wife 46 years ago. And I worked to make a living while I was going to school and working on cars. So, you know, as you go around the building, you see my, the, the, really paying tribute to my family, my mom, my dad. Mm -hmm. granddad my son and then uh upstairs uh tim richmond gave me a bruce springsteen guitar he and bruce springsteen were buddies and i went to concert met bruce back in 86 i think it was so that kind of started the well the first guitar was chet atkins when bodine won nashville and then it was springsteen and now yeah, I've got a lot of guitars. You have almost <laughs> as many guitars in there, I think, as cars. Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Which caught me a little off guard. I didn't know you were such a music collector. I knew about, obviously, you're an automotive guy. That's what you're known for, yeah. both in business and in racing. But yeah. your music collection is impressive. A lot of the artists come through and to see the cars that they're in town and concerts. And I've met guys who have become good friends like Brad Paisley and Zach Brown and you know, I was a huge Steve Winwood fan. And so Steve Winwood comes through, played a guitar in front of the video, Higher Love, which was my favorite song back in those days. Seeing the old video and him doing it again in front of it with a guitar, I mean, I was like, this is heaven. <laughs> and then Alabama and Brad, Alabama and Brad Paisley did the song Old Alabama was shot in the museum. Darius Rucker has used my chevelle convertible and two of his videos you know i love to listen to guys I, you know brad will sit on the couch play a song talking to me about a car he wants to build and uh and zach the same way and i'm like how can these guys be that talented i think i knew about the zach brown and brad paisley connection because i know they've played some of your functions some of your yeah. events brad paisley played the and zach brown actually both were at your hall of fame celebration last year in Charlotte. Steve Winwood was a little bit of a surprise. Yeah. But then let me run through like the other <laughs> notables, luminaries that you have memorabilia from. You have a, a Beatles drum kit. You've got multiple guitars from the Rolling Stones, Chuck Berry, U2, Buddy Holly. You have a Jimi Hendrix signed guitar. You have a Bob Dylan guitar, 
Led Zeppelin, all four original members, signed guitar, Johnny Cash, Buddy Holly. Do you listen to all these guys? Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I never would have pegged you for an Electric Ladyland fan uh, myself. Oh, uh, listen. Uh, uh, Iron, Iron Maiden. Did you see the drum head from Iron Maiden? <laughs> I did not miss that one. <laughs> well, they have uh, rock and roll ribs in Fort Lauderdale. I drive almost 40 minutes to go have lunch over there and eat their ribs. So <laughs> they showed up one day. I didn't know who Iron Maiden was. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's Aerosmith. Um, you know, what's, what's really amazing is the collection has gotten the, the attention of, like, uh, Taylor Guitars. Bob Taylor sent me, me a special one-off guitar. Martin did a one-off with our logo on it. Oh, really? And uh, so when you got Martin and those kind of folks. That's a pretty big name in guitar making. That's a pretty pretty big name. And then I've got, uh, golly, I don't know, so many. I don't know if you heard the story about the the Corvette guitars in there. The the Corvette logo, GM made one guitar, like the new C7 Corvette Stingray logo. I borrowed it, (laughs) and then... And then I got him. Finally, got him to, to to let me have it, and uh, <laughs> and Brad played it at uh, Gordon's retirement party. Mm-hmm. So it's a one-off built by General Motors that Brad Paisley's played. I, I'm I'm fascinated with artists that can play, and when they they show up here, I've really enjoyed that part of it. And I think people are surprised when they come in the museum because they. They, like you said, they expect to see uh, cars. Right. And they know I'm a Corvette geek, right. so they're going to see a lot of Corvettes. But they don't really expect to see the the musical instruments. Right, and probably not the classic rock side. I mean, I know, <laughs> obviously, you're, you, you have a, a taste for country, but your team recently put together a Spotify list, which your ace PR guy, Jesse Essex, shared yeah. with me. And, again, I was surprised it included Van Morrison and Pete Townsend. Yeah. And Jesse assures me these are songs you and artists you actually listen to well, on I'll your iPod. <laughs> I'll, I'll, listen, you won't believe this. When I'm in the shower, I've got a dimmer box going. When I'm in the <laughs> pool, I've got one going. I've got a waterproof box. And uh, I listen to music all the time. Three Dog Night. Yeah, I saw all multiple. Oh yeah, I, lo- I love yeah. I love those guys. You know, I'm I'm I've got a good balance. I like a little bit of everything. Okay, so eclectic tastes, but the music bug never struck you to the point of playing. I've heard you took some guitar lessons, but maybe didn't have the patience or maybe the ability to fully master the instrument. So I'm more of a collector. I'm ADD off the chart. There, <laughs> 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 there is a there's a video which no one will ever see of me playing a banjo with Zach Brown and uh, Cayman, uh, Jimmy Buffett's godson, and another friend of mine uh, down in, in Key West. And and I and I was trying to sing with them. I couldn't sing or play together, you know, but uh, it amazes me the talent of people. Yes, I've taken lessons three times. And about 15 minutes into it, I said, you know what, this is a complete waste <laughs> of their time and mine because I'm never going to be able to do it. and yeah. uh, But I do appreciate it. Well, you don't have time to waste. So if you know right. this is not going to work for <laughs> me, it's not something yeah. you're going to invest no, any, no. any amount of effort in. But I heard you say in that Spotify story that your dream would be if you could play guitar and sit on the side of the ocean and play songs. That would be something you would have liked to have done <laughs> with you your know, life. The second best thing to that is to sit by the ocean listening to music. But I said, if if I could just play if I could, if I could just play a guitar and sit there and watch the sunset, or listen to the waves, 
man, it would be. I, I love the ocean. That's the other thing I love that and fishing. And I've been fortunate enough to have some friends to sit around on the beach and let them play. <laughs> and I'll listen. <laughs> some world-class musicians who yeah, yeah. can play fairly well. There was a photo in there of Mario Andretti and Lady Gaga, who apparently was a last-minute replacement for Keith Urban for at some sort of event. Do you know the story behind that photo? I was curious. Yeah, I was supposed to be the guy that ride with Mario Andretti at the 100th running of the... Uh, of the Indy 500. Actually, Honda had uh, had invited me. Mario had talked to Keith Urban. So I said, well, you know, go ahead, let him do it. I'll do it some other time. Well, then Keith couldn't do it. So Lady Gaga did it. Who else but Lady Gaga? Yeah. Mario Andretti. <laughs> well, did you see the note that they two wrote me? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so that's a prized possession. So Mario t- called me and I said, listen. He said, what can I do for you? I said, I want get a guitar sign and uh so i treasure he sent me a helmet he sent me the guitar and uh, she wrote a note and so i thought that was really clever that if he doesn't make it in racing he'll go to nashville if <laughs> she doesn't make it in nashville she'll uh she'll go racing so uh you know my grandkids have tried to get that guitar and picture from me but i told them it's got to stay in the museum. Lady Gaga obviously would be a, a, a prized possession oh, yeah. for one of your grandkids, yeah. I'm sure. And the note, by the way, of course, did say that despite being strange bedfellows, Mario Andretti and Lady Gaga had quite the time that day, despite ha- not having you there. So that's second floor of the Heritage Center is where all your music collection is. But, of course, as you were mentioning, Rick, the main part of it is the first floor, this huge open area, what, probably 40 or 50,000 square feet? 60,000. 60,000 yeah. square feet. About, about the size of a race shop. Yeah. And then again, like, words won't do it justice, but about 200 cars, all vintage, and this, as you said, this stroll through memory lane for you from yeah. Palmer Springs, this small Virginia town uh, right near the Virginia-North Carolina yeah. border in Southside, Virginia, where you grew up. Yeah. And as you mentioned, you have the bank, you have the general store, fire department, firehouse. You've got all these, these things from your life. Is the Heritage Center meant, is it built sort of as a monument to where you came from and the people who touched your life? I would think maybe people see that and they think, oh, this is a guy who's just about like reliving his past glory but really it's about what shaped you and, and the people yeah. who touched you right yeah my first toolbox is in there i'm actually a class b tool and die maker i uh, went to school with westinghouse and state and uh that box is in there and if you grow up on a farm you never throw anything away but to me it's like my mom and dad i grew up on a farm we didn't have a lot i painted my first car that 31 in a building with a dirt floor i mean you know you wet it down and to paint the car <laughs> and uh you know i rode in the back of pickup to racetracks and uh and so i don't forget where i came from you know when, when i did it and i put cars in there and they, they meant so much to me i thought well how about the tractor shop you worked in how about the shop clayton's mitchell's auto and tractor where uh you went over and worked rode a bike over and helped and cleaned the building and rode in the truck and was a gopher. Uh, and Clayton and I talked until he passed away. Jack Tant and I still talk. Uh, so the drag strip where I, t- I raced at 31, and the, the, the guy that's been my buddy since uh, the second grade is in charge of that museum. And he walks through, th- through that with me when I'm doing a tour. And he'll correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> On your life. <laughs> he remembers. He knows your life better than oh, you yeah. do. <laughs> he says, well, no, no. The first time he did that, I said, man, 
you don't have to do that in front of everybody. It makes me look like I don't know. I can't remember anything. Uh, he said, yeah, I think everybody would like somebody to be able to well, correct them on the details absolutely. of exactly what well, happened. Well, there's a lot of little things <laughs> in there you would never see. Like when he and I were 12 or 13 years old, we went to a hardware store and we put a deposit on two Shakespeare spinning rods. And uh, his rod is in there, rod and reel. And uh, I've had more fun people bringing me things. I remember when, you know. And, uh, again, then the Corvette deal. I love 67 Corvettes, and I started collecting them legitimately in 1977. Uh, I saw the first 67 on a showroom floor, and I thought, man, I bet, I don't know how, if I could ever afford a car, this would be it. And they were about $4,500 back then. And, uh, you know, so now my first Corvette I, I got, I paid $1,000 for. I sold it to get my first dealership. And I bought it back about 20 years later and uh, didn't pay probably much more than 1000 for it to get it back. And it's not as nice as it was when I sold it, but that's <laughs> in there. Yeah. So, you know, again, the serial number one cars, and, uh, and, I, and, I, and I think the, the love affair I had for a Corvette, the dream I had of ever owning a Corvette has driven me to have the – you know, probably the the largest, the best Corvette collection in the world. But I started a long, long time ago. I remember the day that I took possession of the first C7 Corvette in the studio at General Motors. And I was so emotional because I could remember, like yesterday, walking into that Chevy dealership, seeing that Corvette, and looking out on the lot and saying, how in the world can anybody have this many cars for sale <laughs> and that's before i found out about floor plan that you can finance them you know but uh but no that experience of sitting of standing there having uh, ed welburn mark royce and all the general motors brass roll the first serial number through the curtain and take pictures with me i mean to me that was um a, a kind of a pinnacle moment for me in my life you know, everybody has a dream. Everybody has something they want to do when they grow up. And for me, it's always been cars and racing, right. either, either automobiles or racing. To, you know, just an hour and a half ago, I was talking to my buddy that, again, that we grew up together about a uh, CTSV uh, Cadillac. I've got serial number two. And I said, let's, let's get that out and play with it a little bit. You know, I think we can get the horsepower up about a thousand horsepower and it was like what are we going to do with it <laughs> we got to go with the drag strip because you can't drive it on the street but you know i've never my wife says when are you going to grow up and i said well i'm you know getting old is kind of a it's going to happen growing up's an options it's just fun that you still have the desire to walk in that building and look at a real rare 67 corvette that uh, roy orbison owned, or the the president of Mexico owned mm-hmm. or the uh, king of Belgium I've got those cars and uh, I, I mean it to me it's just like walking on the stage to get a you know to get a champ win a championship and be acknowledged for winning one one year I have the same feel so you own over a hundred Corvettes do you know exactly how many you have or it's uh it's, I think it's a hundred and thirty some okay yeah and do you know how many 67 
Corvettes you have? Uh, I think it's 40, 39 or 40. <laughs> one for every well, color, basically. I ju- I, hey, I just got one that you haven't seen. <laughs> the only 67, the only Corvette that's ever left a plant in primer was a 67 that was was ordered special for a Mary Kay customer, and they were going to paint it pink. But it's the only one that ever left in primer, and I've got it well documented. And our guys found it uh, a couple of years ago, and my wife gave it to me for my birthday, uh, July the 12th. <laughs> <laughs> and I walked out, and I, I see this car, and I'm supposed to be excited. And I thought, this thing's in primer, you know. <laughs> and then they told me the story, and I said, oh, yeah, well, that's great, you know. <laughs> but uh, they've been, they found it, uh, Dale Ledbetter did, and they've been uh, restoring it for a couple of years. So. Real, real rare car. What's special about 1967, that model to you? Well, to me, it's the, I think it's one of the best looking Corvettes ever built. It's the Stinger hood, it's the factory side pipes, it's the 427 motor, and uh, it's just a beautiful car. Uh, I, I, I just still think the styling on that car is just my personal favorite. Because you get those color combinations with the Stinger hood is the same color as the interior and the exterior is a different color. Mm. And so I've got every color they made in 67. <laughs> I, I can imagine after walking through there, it certainly seemed like there was no end to the rainbow. So y- you're fairly confident then that you are the best Corvette collector in the world. Like, is there anybody else who would have more than 100? I, 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 you know, I, I, won't, I, won't, I won't make that statement myself, but I've had a lot of <laughs> magazines. Uh, I have, the, the reason I... The reason they say that, I don't, I don't want to say that, yeah. but the reason they say that, I've got the first 55, the first 56, first 57. I've got, you know, a tremendous amount of serial number ones. I've got some 67 airbox, um, 57 airbox cars that Duntoff signed and raced. I've got the three uh, probably winningest Corvettes that ran in SCCA, the Orange Corning car. It's in the Corvette Hall of Fame. I've got four or five Hall of Fame Corvettes, so and I'm in the Corvette Hall of Fame. Anyway, it, it, it's it's not. Uh, it wasn't by desire. It was by love. Mm-hmm. You right. know that born out of your passion for that I car. Had a passion for the car. I don't know about the next general. You know the young generations that are coming along today, but uh, I think Corvette's such an iconic car. Route 66. I think uh, when I go to some of the big Corvette meets, I have Corvette clubs from uh, from Australia that visit here and come through this place. When I go to Barrett-Jackson or I go to some of the auctions and see some of the uh, rare, supposedly rare Corvettes, we've usually know of those cars before they come available. And this is a love affair that began in childhood. I think I've heard yes. stories from you that you would remember when Corvette dealers would put up newspaper on oh, the windows man. to keep yeah. people from seeing the big unveiling they built anticipation and you were obviously in love with that i would get my my dad well, of course in a little town i grew up in that was a big thing that was the biggest thing that happened in the town i mean they <laughs> when they unveiled the new oh, corvette yeah. each year well it, it wasn't just a corvette it was <laughs> any car. they they paper the walls and all the cars came out in 1955 or 56 on that certain day sometimes i could i, I knew it technician and I think the first time I got to do it I was about eight to ten years old my dad and I talked about it. they slipped us in the warehouse before you saw them on the floor 
and you could open the door and smell the new and I mean it was like it was Christmas for me and uh, I remember I was in automotive mechanics in high school it was sponsored by General Motors and the local Chevrolet dealer uh, his son had a Corvette it was a 62 I remember that well <laughs> and I would go down to the Chevy store when the guys had it in there working on it and I actually worked on fuel injection on a Corvette uh, when I was 15 and that was in high school and I've got pictures of me building the motor that's in was in that 31 when I was 16 years old in high school I built the principles I re rebuilt the motor in his Corvair <laughs> and uh, forgot to put oil in it and drove it up the hill about a hundred yards and it locked up failing grade that was not good <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> rick uh, obviously you have such an appreciation for history what makes a good collector or restoration or preservation are obviously big things to you like what what is it about you or what do you think it is about collectors that that make you want to be that way i think again it's the passion growing up and the love for the car reading every magazine that came out every hot rod magazine, uh, dreaming about being in California with the Beach Boys. or You know, I was a gearhead, a hot rod. I raced on the highway, played all three sports in school. And when you take your girlfriend home, you, your buddies would meet, and then you'd mark off a section of highway. I don't shouldn't be telling this. <laughs> and, you, and you'd race on the highway. And right. uh, But now, it was in rural country. There was nobody out there. But It was uh, safe. It was safe. <laughs> but uh, so... When you, when you watch the 442s and the magazines, you watch the big block Corvettes, uh, you, you go to drag races, and you go to um, modified races with your dad, and, and he had a modified. And I take those parts that they took out of the modified, and I build a motor for my 31 and race it. You know, I, I, I look back to how primitive and how shoestring we were when we raced with my dad and then i think about with harry hyde i mean it wasn't the five of us when this place started mm -hmm. and harry 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 was five hundred dollars a week and two of them the other two of the others were volunteers just he and his son and his cousin they were on payroll i mean <laughs> when i started in 84 yeah so i mean you know you think back to that and you look at it today i think the passion for collectors some guys get a whim and they say hey i'm a I'm I made a lot of money, and I want to. I want to go out and buy a bunch of cars. That's not the way I did it, and I didn't start. I didn't start it when I had a lot of money, and still don't have a lot of money. I started by trading for a car, and putting a little, putting money and putting it away. Back when you could trade for a '58, '59 Corvette, and put twelve hundred dollars in it, and I just stick it, put it in the building, and uh, then I would pull them out and restore them. I've got two cars in that museum, a, 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 a 61 and a, I think one's a 59, one's a 61. One was for, he built for my daughter and one he built for my son. And when he passed away in 04, I took them out, redid them again. But those two cars I traded for, and I think the most I put in, one of them was 15, one was 12. Today, you know, you, you, you can't do that anymore. I, I was collecting cars before c collecting cars was kind of a, a yeah, thing. yeah, a thing. A thing, yeah. And you, you mentioned your dad. Obviously, he's represented that museum, and and you said that there's the the hauler that uh, was the late model team for your son Ricky, and obviously that's I assume kind of the centerpiece and where everything started for that museum. I know that you lost your father, 
in 2004, you mentioned a few months later, you lost your son, your brother, two yeah. nieces, and six other people who met a lot of this team in a, in a plane crash. And then this Heritage Center opened up a few years later. Did, that, did those events kind of bring you a sense of mortality of like, how do I remember all yeah. these people and the things that I did? Yeah. When I did that building, I, I, I didn't really, you know, sometimes you think about uh, when you do something here, you build a dealership, you build it based on what the customer wants to see, right? I did that building based on paying tribute to my family, and I thought I'm going to be able to go in here and think about all of my family members that aren't here anymore. Remember and, and, I, and acknowledge, don't ever forget where you came from. Don't ever forget the struggles that your mom and dad had to give you the $250 car. Right. And don't don't forget, uh, you know, the, the little tractor shop that you didn't have a creeper and you wallowed around in, in the dirt, you know, yeah. working on cars <laughs> because you loved it, not yeah. because you were going to make a living at it. Uh, you know, really, when I when my dad was in the racing era, you took you did a, you had your regular job and you took the money from your regular job to spend in racing. That's how much you loved it. I mean, everything I ever made when I was working in the summer or going to school, I put back in a car to enjoy the car or go to the racetrack. Right. Sounds so a lot like collecting. You're just hustling to get that <laughs> yeah, next artifact. Right. You're not <laughs> trying to make money. That's right. right. It, it's exactly, exactly right. Okay, let's pause the podcast here. I want to tell you about a product that is designed for guys who want to stop hair loss. Now, I've been fortunate enough to avoid that, but as someone in my 40s, I certainly have a lot of friends who are facing hair loss. I think it's no secret that I've covered many NASCAR drivers who have also found themselves facing hair loss. It's a situation that millions have faced. Two-thirds of men start losing their hair before turning 35, and I'm sure many who have a little less hair than before have wondered, if there's a real solution. Well, there is. To help guys with preventing or stopping hair loss, there is Keeps. Keeps offers generic versions of two FDA-approved hair loss products. Both of them have longevity in the market, but now they are cheaper and easier to obtain. It takes less than five minutes to sign up for Keeps. I've been to the website, you answer a few questions, you take a few photos, and a licensed doctor will review the information and provide a treatment plan for about 10 to $30 a month or a dollar a day. This is an affordable and great way to help fight your hair loss, but even better is that we have a deal for you. Your first monthly keeps is free if you use this offer. To receive your first month of treatment for free, go to keeps.com slash NASCAR. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash NASCAR. That's a free month of treatment at keeps.com slash NASCAR. Keeps, hair today, hair tomorrow. And now let's return to our conversation with Rick Hendrick. From those humble beginnings, not only do you have this championship race team, Rick, but obviously you also have Hendrick Automotive Group, which is a $9 billion company, 96 dealerships, 11,000 employees versus 600 people at the race team. I'm sure you get asked this a lot, but how do you decide where to spend the most amount of time these days versus your, your dealerships and your automotive group versus motorsports. Yeah, I try. The only way, you know, I, I, I try my best to set a schedule. Uh, I've learned that I have a to-do list. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a living thing. Everything I can think of, I write down. And, uh, and then I pick two or three that I need to do that, that come up first. Uh, I know that Mondays I have conference calls 
with the dealerships. I know Tuesdays, uh, the meeting's out here uh, at Motorsports. And so I have video conferencing, so if I'm not here, I can call in. Uh, but then you have appointments and meetings with manufacturers and sponsor commitments. All those things happen. And then you get the 911. So, <laughs> you know, you, you know, you get a phone call and everything changes. Right. But uh, scheduling is a big deal. You know, Jesse tells me where I have to be and what I have to do when the racetrack <laughs> start. Uh, Christian tells me where I have to be every day and what meeting I'm in. But seriously, um, the end of the month, I'm going to be on take two days and be on a call with everybody in the automobile business. I'm going to go through each. Right now, it's about 100 deals. We've added three new ones. And I'm going to be on the call for two days for about eight hours. And I'm going to go through each deal. We're going to talk about their inventory, what they did last month, the success, failures, things that we're planning on doing. And I'm going to go through each general manager. Uh, we do it by car line, whether it's a Chevrolet or Highline and so forth. And that, to me, f that gives me a block, two days, that I'm going to recap the month. I'm going to know exactly what happened in all the businesses. And then this Tuesday meeting over here is going to give me the recap of the race that weekend and what our plans are for the next weekend. That's every Tuesday you yeah, every all Tuesday. your teams meet, right? So Christian Smith, your assistant here, actually gave me a, a number. In the last three years, you have traveled 75,000 miles on planes and flights and, and such, or 165 hours per year. And uh, I was looking at one of your recent weeks, and it started in Charlotte one day and went till 10 p.m. for a, a manufacturer dinner. The next day, you had, this was a Tuesday, you had the competition meeting here, then you flew to Vegas to attend a manufacturer meeting, then you returned to Charlotte uh, on the following day for like more meetings and more calls. How do you maintain that pace? How do you keep track of all of that when you're, you're flying and traveling that much, and then again, you're juggling like twin concerns here? Well, Bill France told me something I use a lot, uh, Bill France Jr., he said, your mind will take you places your body won't go. And I'm, uh, <laughs> and, and I'm living that down. <laughs> and when I have weeks like that, I'll have to have a couple of days to, to take a break. Right. And what I've learned, the best way to communicate is face-to-face. -face. The second best way is video conference. The third best way is telephone. And then you've got texts and emails. And I don't like texts and emails talking to people i know my drivers i can't talk if i didn't use text <laughs> with drivers i'd never talk to them you know they don't believe in phone conversations <laughs> but i think a lot gets lost in text and emails sure but with the now with the video conferencing scheduling times to do that it saves me a lot of steps i give christian tremendous credit because he has to juggle all those make all that fit mm -hmm. and and i'll say yes to most anything but then it it'll bite me like you can't physically possibly do all that in one day. And y if you're going to come back home at 2 in the morning, you can't have an 8.30 meeting the next morning. I used to be able to do it when I was 40 years old. <laughs> yeah. But now I have to have a little more rest. But, no, the key is having great people uh, like Jesse. will make it work. He'll fit it in. He'll know. He and Christian will work together, the guys in the automotive group. Christian's a quarterback and Jesse, and they just – we pick our plays. I have to have a lot of help. I mean, I really have to have a lot of help. The success of any company, I don't care if you're in racing or you're in the automobile business or you're running a restaurant, it's all about people and having people that are working together and people that are sharing best practices. If you get a team pulling in 
working together, then I can hit the high spots and I know where they need me. And if something comes up and I have to change in the middle of the day just to divert and go do something else, I'll do it. But uh, I'm very fortunate that my 40 years in business, I've I've had a lot of people retire with me. They they retired. I I had 30 more years of payment, so I couldn't. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna be working until the very end. Yeah, that's, that's right. I don't know how old I'm gonna be, <laughs> but uh, but uh, no, seriously, um, it's just like here. We got some really young, talented people. We got some folks that've been here for 20 years, and so you know, again, I I give credit to the folks, and and I look back, and I don't know how it really all happened. You know, it just happened quickly. The museum kind of helps me walk back and say, golly, you know, this has been a good ride. And I, I'm thankful to my mom and dad for being the parents they were. All the folks like Harry Hyde working for $500 and renting me. Every, I mean, I was renting the, the tools, the rear ends, the gears. I mean, I started racing on basically nothing in Cup. I'd put, I'd put how much I spent going in. Not today, but <laughs> but back then, golly, it was uh, it was just a perfect storm with Harry, me storing the boats here, and and he having all the equipment sitting there. And so that was thirty three years ago, yeah. and or thirty four years ago. My apologies, yeah. eighty four was when you started. So now more than uh, two hundred wins, twelve championships. Later, uh, you're stuck y- on two forty nine. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't <laughs> going to bring it up, but because you did, <laughs> this has not been a, a great season for your team by your standards. And you mentioned all those texts with drivers. I'm sure there've yeah. been quite a few this year. Did you know, Rick, that the team might take its lumps this year with going to a new car and having two new, relatively inexperienced drivers? Do, were you, were yeah. you guys managing expectations, knowing that 2018 might not be quite as good as other years? Sure. Well, you know, I didn't. I didn't think it would be this tough. I underestimated the car change. I'm, I'm really proud and happy with the people um, because we definitely are not used to this kind of year. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we won 17 one in one year, and that was like it's automatic. A four or five, four championships back-to-back with Gordon and Terry and then five uh, with Jimmy. And you think, hey, this is, this is easy. And then we, we underestimated how much better the competition was going to be and how much work we needed to do to the new car. Uh, it's a great piece. Uh, but we we decided at the end of the year we were going to kind of change the way we did things, put all the crew chiefs and engineers in one building, and reworked the facility here, changed the way we operated. Well, with that and the new car and the, uh, and the new, you know, shifting drivers and teams, crew chiefs around, it was a load, and we got behind, and uh, we're trying to catch up. It, it has been the toughest year, one of the toughest years I can ever remember, but I feel like we've got the best effort organization of people working together in the face of not being su- successful as we, we want to be. But uh, we'll get there, and that's what I tell the folks. Hey, we, we, we're just – surrender is not in our book, and we keep seeing – a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. And, you know, you don't go from running 15th to winning. You go from 15th to 10th, 10th to 5th. And now we had all four of the cars in the top 11 or 12. And we were running really good at Talladega and, and Day- Daytona and crashed out. Hey, it's it's it makes you tough. So uh, we got good people, and we're going to be good. It's a year and two days since your 
249th victory uh, in, in the Cup Series as we sit here talking today. Does that wound your pride at all, or does that just serve as a source of motivation? Yeah, it, it, it motivates you. Your, your pride gets bullet gets shot down a long time ago. You know? Yeah. And you, you try not to have that too much pride. It's the competitiveness of you. It's the, it's the it's the fight that these guys have, and we know we're we're better than we're showing. And you know it's a disappointing for your fans. It's disappointing for your employees, and it's really disappointing for these people working hard. It, but it's also character building. I mean. If you, if you can stay together and stay committed when times are tough, mm-hmm. then you'll be better off when we turn the corner. So I feel like we're 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 going to get it, and we just got to keep pushing. What keeps you committed at this point? Because, you know, you've got that, that museum over there where I think you could just go spend the rest of your <laughs> life if you wanted to. As you mentioned, you, you love your fishing. I'm sure you could fi- spend the rest of your life on a boat in the Keys. I mean, uh-huh. you just turned 69. You've accomplished virtually everything you can You're talking in me into it, Nate. <laughs> you're talking me into it. <laughs> well, wait, wait, what is it? Wait, what, what keeps you going? Because obviously you're Debt. just hearing you. <laughs> Debt is what keeps it, makes it all work. Uh, you have to pay everything off. No, no. It's, 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 it's your people. It's um, seeing uh, young guys that started selling and become general managers. It's like guys here, William Byron and and Alex, who filled in for Dale and Jimmy to try to go to number eight, and all these people that have that have worked so hard. I mean, you just I, I think at this point in my life, I I just don't want to let them down. I don't want to. I don't want to. I'm not going to walk away and. And them say, hey, we help you build this, and, and now you're gone. No, I'm, I, as long as I'm physically able, I want to be in the fight. How many days do you spend a year just hanging out in your man cave, as it's called, that second floor of the Heritage <laughs> Center with all the guitars and uh, music memorabilia? You know what? I hate to tell you this. I think it's been a month since I've been in the building. <laughs> I would spend every weekend well, if you I know, was here. <laughs> you know, okay, you want to go to Pocono? You want to go in there? You know? <laughs> no, I uh, no, I'm. I'll tell you what I do. What what really really helps me when a day when I'm not feeling all. I mean, it's just energy level or just feel like you've handled enough problems. And I can come over here and walk up there and maybe have my lunch or get on the phone and just look out among the cars. It's a, it's it's almost as good as the ocean, but <laughs> uh, in a different way. Again, that place I can see my mom. I can see my dad. My granddad. My brother, my son, all the folks that I don't that aren't here anymore. When I walk in there, and the cars, my first Corvette, you know, my first car, all those, my first toolbox, some of the first guitars, uh, videos playing of when some of those entertainers were coming to town just to celebrate with us, and then you you kind of pinch yourself and say, when you're walking through the tobacco field. When you were 12 years old, you were dreaming some of this. Not this big, but you were dreaming. And this dream has come true. Right. You know? Right. So, I mean, if in life, if you can do that and surround yourself with great friends and family, and, man, you're very fortunate. I'm very fortunate. You're lucky to have a happy place like that. That's one. right. I've got a happy place. That's cool. Thanks for doing this, Rick. Really yes, appreciate sir. it. The Enjoy. NASCAR and NBC podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify. Please leave a rating or review if you like what you're hearing. And as always, you can send me feedback on Twitter at Nate Ryan. Thanks for listening to the NASCAR and NBC podcast.
Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because. The charcoal mask, great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice, I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed.